Off to a good start. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm assuming at this stage most people do know me, but just in case, and for those beautiful people watching online, uh, I'm in Somerville. I'm one of the pastors here in Journey. I also get the privilege of serving on our elders team, and uh, occasionally you'll see me up here leading worship as well. Uh, I just love being part of this church. Our family are deeply involved in this church, and we just we just love it here. It's great, and we just we're, we're just drawn by the presence of God uh, when we come together, and it's uh, it's amazing to be part of what God's doing here in our city. Um, again, outside of Journey, I am married to Jill. And I'm the daddy of Jonah, uh, both of whom you will probably know by, uh, by this point. But they're not here this morning because, and if you see a slightly haggard look on me this morning, it's because we're in the middle of potty training at the minute. Please, please pray for us. Uh, yeah, it's so amazing. And again, in the future, maybe we should edit this little bit out because in the future, you know, the kind of the whole thing about giving your child kind of privacy and stuff online. I've been paid on, I've been... It's just been a marvelous, marvelous time. It's, it's, it's amazing how the bowel habits and the kidney habits of a two and a half year old can just take over your life. So anybody who's been through it, anybody who's been in the midst of it, you now have a sympathy that I didn't have before. Uh, anybody who's not been through it, we will be praying for you. So uh, anyway, we are in the middle of our sermon series called God Has a Name. Who was here last week? Okay, cool. If you weren't here last week, you definitely need to go and check that out. You'll find it on our YouTube. You'll find it on our Facebook page. You'll find it on our website. If you really need to, I'm sure Ian Watt can put it in a carrier pigeon and send it to your house in a memory stick. Um, some way, go check it out. It was a really powerful message from Gary. Uh, Gary looked at this idea, and we're, we're coming at this whole thing. The spine of this whole series is Exodus 34, verses sort of four to, uh, four to seven. And if you haven't read that passage, go home this week and study it. You will find that it pops up all over Scripture. It is there. All about, I'm going to talk about that. It's kind of like a theological ground zero. If you want to have a good theological understanding of who God is, it's good to start with what he's revealed himself to be, and this is a, a kind of seminal passage in that, and we're going to be digging into that a little week, uh, for, uh, this week and uh, last week, and we're, we're just going to be digging into it. Um, last week, Gary looked at the very first bit of it, and if you read the English translation, you miss a whole lot of this. Um, I would say if you read the English translation of most scriptures, you miss a whole lot of it. Uh, but it starts off with the Lord, the Lord God, and Gary dug into the idea that that was Yahweh. Okay, when we talk about the Lord in Scripture, it's Yahweh, and you see, and Gary beautifully drew out this idea that when uh, when we get to these kind of this New Testament approach of referring to Jesus as Lord, we're tying together this idea of Jesus and Yahweh, and it's this beautiful thing that we miss as Westerners when we don't understand that. When we hear Lord, I mean, we're thinking of lords and ladies and like just giving reverence. It is more than that. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying he is Lord God. He is Yahweh. Uh, and that was amazing. So if you missed that last week, there's a lot more to what Gary said last week, but that's, uh, that's where you can, you can go and dig into it and find it for yourself. And then you can track with us for the rest of the series. This week, I'm going to be going on to the next little bit of the passage. And we're going to be can we just go into that just now? But if I had to give a subtitle to this sermon, it would be God's baseline emotion towards you is mercy. Okay? And remember that because we're kind of going to draw on that. God's baseline emotion to you is mercy. Okay? 
So let's look. We're going to jump in here. I'm actually going to start at verse 5. Uh, verse 4 just sets a wee bit of context. We're going to go to Exodus 34 here. I'm reading it in the NASB. It's pretty similar in whatever translation you do. The reason why I read things, when I'm going to do, because I'm going to do a word study this morning. I'm going to go in full teacher mode this morning, okay? So we're going to go into a word study this morning. We're going to go a little bit deeper into some things today. Um, and when I do that, I actually really like to read uh, the NASB translation. It's a really transliterative translation. As in, sometimes the English is really clunky. It's not the easiest English translation to read. Sometimes the words don't quite sing in order, but it's because it's just translated literally out of the original text. And it's, uh, and they kind of try to tidy it up a bit, but it's, it's a really good, accurate translation. So let's take a look at this. We're going to verse 5, and we're going to read up to verse 7 in Exodus 34. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, and both those instances are Yahweh, okay, compassionate and merciful. Everyone say compassionate and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in faithfulness and truth, who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation of his law, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, inflicting the punishment of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Okay. So the words I really want us to focus on there in this translation are compassionate and merciful. Sometimes it's in NIV, it's compassionate and graceful, okay? And gracious, compassionate and gracious. And we get these two words and they're translated. I'm going to give you the original Hebrew words here. Now, I'm going to pause for a second before I do that. I am not a Hebrew scholar, Okay. If I'm anything, I'm a New Testament scholar, and I'm not even a New Testament scholar. I'm a hack. If, if we're going to be truthful about it, I have studied lots of the New Testament. I've studied bits and pieces of Greek and New Testament Greek so that I can understand stuff. But I'm intelligent enough to be able to use Google. I'm intelligent enough to be able to use concordances and rely on the scholarship of much brighter people than me. Okay. So when we look up these words... This, we actually get a Hebrew word pairing here. And if you know anything about Hebrew word pairings, is that one word reveals something about the other word. You kind of use both of those words to get a definition of each other. And the two words, I'm going to teach you some Hebrew this morning because I learned it myself. The two words here for uh, gracious and compassionate are rahum we hanum. Okay, can we try that? Rahum we hanum. Oh, that's very good. You're very good. You're better than me. You got that quicker. Raham, we hanum. We're going to take a look at both these words. We're going to look at Raham. Then we're going to look at we hanum, at hanum, because we is the kind of am. But, and we're going to put them together, see what we actually get when we break this apart and take a look at it. So Raham, or compassionate, can be translated as merciful. It actually comes from the root word for female womb. Okay? Raham comes from the root word of female womb. And it basically is used in scripture to express the love that a mother has towards her unborn child, okay, or to her infant child, okay? So we're going to take a few scriptures that use Raham here, and we're going to see what we can find about them. And, and the most famous one, it's quite a violent passage, or potentially quite a violent passage, um, goes from 1 Kings chapter 3. So you can go ahead and look that up. Um, it's the story of the two ladies who are having a disagreement over whose child it is. Now, 
I'm going to level with you. I was, uh, I was brought up in a good gospel hall Sunday school. And this was the sort of t- story that you got told in a gospel hall Sunday school. So for me, this was a Sunday school story. But I know for most normal people that went to normal Sunday schools, you weren't taught about um, the idea of uh, kind of Solomon wanting to chop babies in half. Okay, that probably wasn't your normal experience. But for me, this was quite normal. You looked at the gory passages in Scripture, and you're kind of brought up with this very interesting idea of who God is. Um, I digress. So if you imagine this, basically you've got the two ladies. They both live in the same house. Uh, They're prostitutes. That's uh, not what was told to us when we were at Sunday school in the Gospel Hall, but they were prostitutes. And they they both have young children, both have young babies born. Sadly, one of the babies dies, and in the middle of the night, basically that mother goes and swaps the babies around and gives the dead baby to the other mother who had the baby and takes the living baby. Um, you can kind of view this like uh, an episode, like it's basically like an ancient episode of Jeremy Kyle, okay, without the DNA results. You know, who's, who's the mother of this baby? DNA results after the break, okay? There were no DNA results. All they had was King Solomon and his wisdom. I think I would prefer King Solomon and his wisdom, to be quite honest with you, than Jeremy Kyle and his DNA results. But they go before King Solomon and they basically contest, this is my baby, no, it's my baby. The whole argument ensues. And Solomon basically says, okay, go get your sword. I'm going to chop this baby in half. You can have one half and you can have the other half. And we pick up the story here in verse 26. It says, but the woman who was, uh, whose child was the living one spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred. Say deeply stirred. Deeply stirred over her son. And she said, pardon me, my lord. Give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other woman was saying, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Cut him. Then the king replied, give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. Now when we look at this, the original Hebrew, this woman, the mother is deeply stirred by Raham. She is deeply stirred by her compassion, her maternal, her motherly love for her child. So much so that she would much rather the child lives and for her to lose it. Wow. That's the love of a mother right there. Okay. Let's look at another example of this, Psalm 103. And we're going to look at two verses here. We're going to look at verse 8, and then we're going to look at verse 13. Verse 8 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Now, where have I heard that before? Okay, come back to that. Verse 13, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. See, I love this because as I hinted as I was reading it, We're getting Exodus 34 quoted at us. It gets quoted at us all the time in Scripture. This is a really important, fundamental part of Scripture to get our idea of who God is. You see, we have Raham being expressed here from the fatherly perspective of Yahweh towards his children. Compassion, Raham. So essentially, what does Raham mean? It means how a parent feels towards their children. Now, I know Raham. I know this. It is the strongest emotion. It's the strongest feeling that I have ever encountered. Um, 
this time a year ago when we were over in Thailand. I'm going to be honest with you, there was this little niggling worry at the back of my head. Right? You know the way you get those little niggling doubts? It wasn't a big thing. I never made a big thing about it. I never said anything to anybody really about it. But there was this fear as a man, and I think a lot of men have this fear before they become a dad. But especially so, because if you know Jill and my journey to becoming, you know, to becoming parents, it was long and difficult and convoluted. And you know, if you don't know, we adopted a child from Thailand. And when we were going out, there was this little fear at the back of my head. What if I'm not a good dad? What if I don't love my son the same way I would if he was a biological son? Now, I know and you know that that's complete nonsense and that would never have been the case. But that little fear at the back of my head, and it was there, it was present until in that little room in Con Ken, where we were handled, handed this little bundle of joy and he snuggled his wee head into me. In that moment, there was no doubt, there was no fear. It was absolute raham. From that moment, I would have killed for that child. I would kill for that child. Don't mess me. All right, don't mess with And if you think I've got strong parental feelings, don't even think about messing with them in front of my wife. She's going to break your arms. All right. Um, I, I, I know no, we're laughing. I mean it. Seriously. Uh, Jilla's mama bear, she's going to rip your head off. Just, uh, she loves that child. We, this is the thing. There is no question about it. I would do anything to protect that child. There is nothing in this world would keep me from him. This raham. And the thing that you need to understand is that, see that parental love that you feel towards your child? It is nothing but a pale shadow, a faint echo of how Yahweh feels about you. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in for a minute. You see, when it comes to Jonah, I have absolute compassion. He can get me to do things that nobody else on this planet could get me to do. When he comes up to you and goes, Daddy, Daddy horse. And what he's looking me to do is to get down on the ground on my hands and knees where he literally rides me about like a horse. None of you get to do that. All right, quite thankfully. All right, but... The things that he, and if I'm in the middle of doing something, like quite often I'll be working on stuff for school, I'll be home and it's just, it's just how my life is. You're in the middle of doing something. I come to you, Daddy, come on, come on, Daddy. Come on, come on, come on. Because he's picked up all this Northern Irish English. Come on, come on, come on. And when he says, come on, there is nothing that I'm doing that's more important that doesn't make me go, okay, let's go. Where are we going to? And it's usually over to a fire engine or something ridiculous. But... That love, that intense love. And listen, I know that some of you are slightly disconnected from this bit of this message for, for a couple of reasons. One, you might not actually have this as your experience of family, okay? Your dad might not have been there for you. He might not have been there at all. You might have brought yourself up. You know, you may have your whole concept of family and it, it just this, this idea of a God whose father might be totally foreign to you or actually scary to you because you haven't had that experience. And also, I know, because Jill and I have walked this painful journey, that some of you who are maybe on that place of waiting to be parents, I know it's hard. And I am not saying this in any kind of sycophantic way. We know. We know the pain. We know that pain. 
And my only advice, and as I say to you, I am saying this as someone who has been through it, the only way through it is to actually not run from the Father, but to just run into his embrace and just to experience that racham, that compassion of the Father yourself. And you see, maybe some of this is triggering you a little bit, okay? Because either you didn't have parents in that way, or you had an angry dad, or you had a perfectionist mom, or whatever it was. Might I gently suggest that if this is triggering you, if this is poking you a little bit, it's maybe time to book that TT session that you've been telling yourself that you don't need for the last year. All right, it's maybe time to go onto the Journey website and go to the Journey counseling page and book in for an appointment. It's maybe time. Maybe God's just gently poking you and all the TT counselors are going, no, our books are full. We'll find time for you. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll find time for you. Okay. But if God's doing something with you, you've got to respond to it. So Raham is compassion. It's that love that a parent feels towards a child. Okay, then we get the Hanun bit of it. Okay, Hanun means gracious, and it is a verb. It's an action word. It means to show grace, to show favor. And it's kind of baked into it, this idea of help, to show help to someone in need, to give grace and favor to someone who needs it. Okay, let's take a couple of examples of this. We'll go to Exodus 22 here. And this is Exodus 22, verses 26 to 27. It says this, If you ever seize your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, we are to return, or you are to return it to him before the sun sets, for this is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else is he to sleep in? And it will come about when he cries out to me, I will listen to him, for I am gracious. Okay, that's Hanan in there. I am gracious, and I'm going to do something about it, I'm actually going to help this person, all right? Let's take another look. We're going to look at Psalm 86 here, and we're going to look at verses 15 and 16. And again, the psalmist here starts off by quoting, what's he going to quote? Exodus 34, that's right, it was on the tip of your tongue. Okay, Exodus 34 is what gets quoted here in verse 15. Let's read it. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy and, and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maid servant. Again, this be gracious to me is Hanun, to show grace, to show favor, to help out in a time of need. You see, here, a prayer for God's grace is actually praying, if you actually look at the context of the scripture, it's actually praying for God to rescue and save Israel out of danger, to the God who responds. You see, here's the thing. We have a God who responds. All right, we're going to look at that a little bit in a minute. Just remember, we have a God who responds. If we take these two words, Raham and Hanam, Raham, we Hanam, we bring them together, all right? We've got compassionate and gracious, but it's more than that. Because what we actually have here is when we fuse them together is Yahweh. It kind of shows us what Yahweh is like. He is compassionate and gracious. He has this paternal love, this fatherly, this motherly love towards his children, us, and he's prepared to help us. That's actually what we get. This is important. Remember, 
the Hebraic, the, the Hebrew worldview is different to your Western worldview. When you get a list of things, the thing at the top is the most important, okay? It's not like my shopping list, when Jill gives me a list of things and the most important thing is the thing at the end, okay? I don't know how you do shopping lists. Everybody does them in a different order. Some people do them like in the order the things are in the shop. That's how I would personally like to do them. Jill just does them in a random order, whatever she thinks. It breaks my heart. It literally cannot go shopping with my wife. Because if, you go, if, you go, if I go into Tesco's, it is a military campaign. We go down this, you know, we go down one aisle and we, and we don't miss aisles and everything I'm going to do is in that order. Jill goes here, she picks up, hmm, cabbage. What would go well with that? Ah, bacon. So she'll go to the other side of the store and she'll get bacon. And she'll go, while she sees the bacon, she'll say, oh, look, there's that yogurt that Ian likes. Right, I'll get that. What would go well with that? Ah, granola. And she's back over to the other side of the store. And it is just ding, ding, and before, I mean, a half hour, what should be a half hour trip, turns out to three hours, we spent 4,000 pounds, we've no idea what's happened. And you're going, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Okay, can we get a list, can we do it in order? No, no is the answer to that question. Jill's mind is too creative for that, okay. <laughs> Love you, honey, because you are watching at home when you were earlier. Um, let's hope you're not watching now. <clears throat> See, when God is asked about himself, by Moses in Exodus 34, the first two things, after he reveals his name, the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, after he reveals that, the first thing he reveals about himself is that he is gracious and compassionate. Those are the dominant traits that God wants you to know about that he's like. God's baseline emotion, or God's baseline thoughts towards you are merciful, okay? So when you come and worship, before God, I want you to recognize that when you're coming before God, and I actually tried to do this this morning when I was coming in worship, I tried to understand that who I was coming to worship has these amazing, compassionate, fatherly feelings towards me. And more than that, with all the stuff that's going on in my life, he wants to help. God actually wants to help. He actually wants to have action on your behalf. You see, prayer changes things. When we come to God, see, when I come into the house, Jonah doesn't come crawling along the floor in fear and trepidation at daddy's home. I open the door and it is like basically this mad sprint to get to the door, to jump into the air, to be caught by daddy. Why? Because he is confident that one, daddy's going to catch him and two, that daddy loves him and that he can come to daddy at any time. We have a father who has compassion towards us and who actually wants to help us with our stuff. Right, we'll take a wee pause there for a second. How are we all doing? Everybody good? Raham we Hanum, we got it? Okay, good. We're gonna go on a little bit here and I'm gonna to talk to you about a problem with scripture. Woohoo! Genuinely thought, as a teacher, genuinely thought you might be more excited about that. That's okay. We'll just dig into it. So there's the obvious problem in scripture. I mean, if you're on Facebook or any form of social media, you will get, if, you're, if you like are professing Christianity on any level, uh, <laughs> online, 
Uh, you're not just apostatizing and compromising for everything that's out there. If you're actually professing Christianity online, what you will get is you'll get the lovely, very brave and very bold from behind their keyboards, atheists, who will come at you and say, how can you worship such a malevolent, racist, genocidal God? Have you ever read your Bible? Well, yeah, I have actually. That's why I understand it a lot more than you do. You see, when we read the scripture, there is a disparity and that's just a big fancy word for difference between the teachings of Jesus and what we see of Yahweh in the Old Testament. It freaks most people out, okay? Most of us don't know what to do with it. The fact is this. If you actually go back, this, what, this, what this book does is it tracks for us a journey of God and his people, okay? It tells a story of God intervening through the whole history of humanity and just being that one step ahead of, of his people and gently drawing them from what was a very barbaric and kind of violent culture gently towards the perfect revelation we get in the person of Jesus Christ who instead of saying, right, see your enemies, chop off their heads, we get Jesus actually going, no, no, love your enemies, Okay? This is why when we read the Bible, one, we read it through the lens of Jesus and what Jesus reveals and what Jesus teaches us. And two, when we actually kind of study our Bible, we need to understand the journey that God is bringing his people on, okay? However, although that is a problem and we, and we do have to, and it is difficult when we read the instances of you know, children being killed and like whole peoples being wiped out, we, we and we have to come to some answers with that. It is nothing. That problem of Scripture is nothing compared to when we read about the instances of God's mercy. Okay? Now, if you're anything like me, you're sitting going, where is he going with this? What's he actually saying? What's the point of what he's saying here? Okay? I promise you, when I'm finished, you're going to be more offended by the mercy of God than you are by the judgment of God. And the simple fact is, you are you just don't realize it the way I actually poke at this. So let's poke at this a little bit. I'm going to look at a story from the Old Testament uh, from a prophet called Jonah. Okay, I'm not just looking at this because I've called my son Jonah, but it was a useful Bible study for me. Okay, um, there are some bits of this that do sound like my life. When Jonah fled and ran the opposite direction, it just sounds like bedtime. Okay. It just sounds, I'm reading that going, yep, that sounds exactly like I just experienced there now. So we're going to start here in chapter one of Jonah. Again, I'm reading uh, all of this in the NASB, but we're going to start at uh, verse one, read verse three here, and um, well, we'll just get into it. Uh, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, because their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish, it's hard to say, from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, <coughs> paid the fare and boarded it to go with them to Tarshish. Yeah, we'll have to put that in again. Away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, okay? The Assyrian Empire was the dominant empire of its day. And they were like the arch enemies of the Israelites, okay? So, bit of context, it's important to know that. 
And basically, if we actually go back, there's lots of historical documents from that time. If you go back and read about the kings in Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria, they do brutal things, like horrendous things. They, they flay people, which is a fancy word for skinning people alive. They burn people at stakes. They wipe, they are just horrible, horrible, evil people in the service of very vengeful gods. So if you're Jonah, it's Nineveh is pretty much the last place you want to go plant a church, okay? All right, do you remember that feeling about Antrim, John? Thought they might, you know, flay us alive, yeah. <clears throat> Jonah didn't, Jonah didn't want to go. But if we actually look at the story, it's not, it's not fear of Nineveh. It's not fear of the Assyrians that actually stops Jonah going. What does Jonah do? We read that last verse again. Um, basically, he boarded uh, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. N- Jonah wasn't fleeing the Ninevites. He was fleeing the presence of God. Now, he has a reason for doing this, and we'll look at that towards the end of this. Nineveh, a few days' walk to the, to the east. Actually, don't, I'm disoriented. What direction's north here? Does anybody, I need to get my compass out. But basically, a few days to the east, and Tarshish is like, it's like the end of the known world at that point. It is like, uh, it's like Timbuktu. It is far, far away. It's as far away as Jonah can get from where God has told him to go. We then get the famous aquatic incident with the, you know, with the big fish. And listen, we've got plenty of whale toys in our house. You name a child Jonah, you're going to get whales as toys. Okay? It's just how it is. So we've got whale bath toys. We've got whales everywhere. And one of, his, one of the first animals that he could identify was daddy, orca. Not whale, orca. He can identify the difference between a killer whale, a blue whale, and an orca. Yeah. Yeah we're, yeah, we're the type of parents that take our children to museums and all sorts of things as well. Yeah, we, yeah. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so after that, he gets vomited up on the shore and he goes, okay, God, you've rescued me. I'm going to Nineveh. And off he goes to Nineveh and he preaches one sentence. One sentence. This is what he preaches. Then Jonah began to go, this is uh, Jonah chapter 3 verse 4, says this, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He's just walking about the city. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. No three-point sermon. No cute story about his kids. No altar call. No revival prayer. Basically, Yahweh's coming to nuke y'all. That's it. You're done. You're dusted. You've got 40 days. But here's the thing. Shocking plot twist. It works. It works. Mass revival breaks out in Nineveh. The whole of the society turns to God. The king even repents, declares a day of mourning, sackcloth, and ashes. Let's read it. Jonah 3 verse 10. When God saw their deeds, they turned away from their evil way and God relented, say relented, relented of the disaster which he had declared he would bring on them so he did not do it. The word relented, and Gary talked about this last week, is nahamet in Hebrew. And it means changed his mind. (laughs) Remember I said 
that we have a God of response. We have a God in relationship with us. There's a certain elasticity to our relationship with God. God was for nuking this city. When he saw their genuine repentance, he went, nope, I'm not going to nuke this city. This city can stay. And actually, it went on to live a long, happy life. Okay? And you would think in the midst of this story, Jonah, he's going to be absolutely stoked by this. God's mercy, well, he, he went and he did what God said. He preached the sermon that God put in his heart. People got changed, revived, saved. The whole city was transformed. Jonah is bound to be jumping with joy. No, he is raging. Absolutely raging. This, this, he basically goes on a rant to, to, to Yahweh about this. So this is, uh, this is chapter four. Uh, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are, again, what's this passage? This is Exodus 34, getting quoted back at God again. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, that's a serious huff right there. That's a serious huff. This is so good. What's he offended at? What's he annoyed at? Not God's judgment. Not God's wrath. God's mercy. See, here's the thing. We all want grace and compassion for us but we want judgment for everybody else. We want grace and compassion for us and our family and the people we love and the people who are like us, but those others out there, no, no, nuke them, God. They've got it wrong. Look how they've sinned and gossiped and slandered. Look how they've done all these things against us. No, no, they deserve to be punished. See, the problem is Yahweh just cannot be trusted not to be merciful. You can't trust God when it comes to this because his default is mercy. He is going to show mercy on all the people that don't deserve it because Yahweh's mercy isn't just for you. It isn't just for me. It's for everybody. We serve a God whose default towards us is mercy. Especially the people that don't deserve it. And how do I know that? Because I don't deserve mercy a jot of his mercy. I don't deserve a jot of his grace or compassion. See, I told you God's mercy is far much more offensive than his judgment. I am completely out of time. I would love to look at, and we were singing about it this morning, I would love to look at uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son or as it's been like trendily renamed, the parable of the dancing father. I would love to look at that, okay? I would love to turn that on its head a wee bit. But I want to kind of end with this, all right? I want to end with this. So you can go, that fits in. If you want to look at Jesus' teachings on this topic of compassion and mercy, go this week and read about the prodigal son. Go and see the reaction to the father. Yeah, the worship team can come on up. 
See, as we know, as I've already said, Exodus 34 is ground zero for a good understanding of who God is. It is like the starting point for like good theology about God. However, it is more than just a statement about God. It is actually a manifesto of how we are supposed to live. Okay? God is compassionate, so we should be compassionate too. God is gracious, so we should be gracious too. I'm going to leave you with three questions. Okay? Jesus did this all the time. Jesus left people with more questions than answers. So I'm going to leave you with three questions that I want you to ponder. If you're taking notes, these are three things for you to ponder upon this week. And the first one is this. Who are your enemies? Who are the people who, in your view, it would be much better if God was just to nuke them and get them out of the way? If you're being honest with yourself, who are the people that you don't think deserve God's mercy? Okay, ask yourself that question this week and then pray for those people. Second question is this, who are the people in your life that you need to show mercy to? The people in your life who you've been hard on, who you've been distant from, who you actually need to go and show mercy to. And who, like in your daily, like in your daily work, in your daily job, in your marriage, okay? Listen, who knows? Marriage is a covenant relationship. If I don't do something that I'm supposed to do or that I've promised that I do, I bank on the fact that Jill will have grace with me <laughs> most of the time. Good relationships have that grace built into them. Who are the people that we've got daily opportunities to show mercy to? And the last one is, do you honestly believe that God is your father who is that raham compassion towards you and who actually wants to help you with your situations? Because if you do, as we come to him in worship, as we come to him in prayer, it has serious implications for how we come to our dad, how we come to our father. Do you want to stand with us? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this amazing group of people, Lord. I thank you for the revelation that you're bringing us of who you are. God, I thank you that built into your name, that built into who you have revealed yourself to us to be, God, you've got compassion and you've got mercy and grace right at the top of the list. Lord, I thank you that you care for us like a father cares for his children, God, that you want to help us, God, that you want to rescue us from our situations, Lord. God, I also thank you, Lord, that your mercy, God, doesn't just extend to the people that I think it should. Lord, I thank you that your mercy extends to everyone, Lord, that there is no one in this building, there's no one within the reach and the sound of my voice who is beyond the mercy of God. Lord, Lord, I just ask you now, would you move in mercy, God? Would you move in mercy, God? Would you move in mercy in our lives, God? Would you have mercy? Would you have compassion and grace, Lord? Would you show your favor, Lord, even to me? Even to your people, Lord, would you show mercy to us? And would you draw us, Lord, to that next step of intimacy and relationship with you? In Jesus' name, amen.